To the Corinthians, the resurrection seemed to be an impossibility. The body is decayed, the body is ruined. How can this rotted corpse be raised to life and be brought into eternity? Remember the question the Corinthians are dealing with is while believing that Jesus is risen from the dead, how can there be a belief that there is life after death for everyone else? And Paul has gone through the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians as we've been studying it and has been describing to them how this is a reality, how because Christ died and is raised from the dead, that therefore though we die, we will be raised from the dead as well. And as we come into verse 35, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the question of how. How can that possibly be? Now that he has uh, declared that it is with certainty that we will be raised, one of the great questions that certainly stands not only in their minds but also in ours is how how is that going to be possible how is this all going to be accomplished i think it's important to point out as we go into the lesson is that one of the prominent views in the greco-roman world was that there was life after death but their view of life after death was somewhat interesting but perhaps Parallel to what we think today, and that is they would consider the soul leaving the body as a release, as a freedom, that while we are on earth, the spirit is imprisoned is the words they would use. And to be able to leave the body was a consideration of freedom, of release, to finally get out of that horrible body that had been given to you and thus forever be disembodied spirits was the predominant view, though there are all kinds of interesting things the Greeks thought about life after death. And I want us to observe that what Paul is doing here is rejecting the thinking that there is just simple, simply a spirit disembodied life to come and that's all we will ever be. And what he has done is shown throughout this that there is a parallel between what happens to Jesus and what happens to us. And he used back there at the beginning, he talked about Christ being the first fruits. Just as Jesus rose from the dead bodily and not just in a spirit, but as we studied from Luke and as well as in this letter, that Jesus will say, see my hands and feet, a bodily resurrection not just a vapor, not just a spirit. He is a, 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 a person. So he has said, we then also are belonging to this resurrection with the first fruits. And you'll notice that this is the way the scriptures often speak of it. To consider what Paul would write in the second letter to the Corinthians. He tells them, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and here he is talking about our physical flesh, we know that if this body of ours is destroyed. He says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know that there is something better that is going to be given to us. What we have now is simply a tent that we are housed in. But there is a building, he describes, better than the tent that God has prepared for us that is not made with hands and is an eternal body that we will have. Verse 2, for if it, for in this tent we grow 
abode, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And I want you to consider how different that is from the Greek mind. The Greek mind is we're longing to be out of this body and forever just be out of a body. He says, no, we're happy to be out of this body and receive an eternal body, a heavenly body that's been given to us. So that at the end of verse 3, he says that we would not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. Again, hear that Greek idea, not that we would just be disembodied, but that we would be further clothed. And so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And so Paul has the same dealing with the Corinthians with this idea of what the resurrection is going to look like. It is of a physical resurrection, not merely spiritual. This is what Jesus said as well in John 5 and verse 28. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice, hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Same picture of bodies coming out of tombs is the idea. There is going to be a great resurrection. And so that's why you can imagine why as Paul has been writing and teaching them, there is the great question of how. How is this all going to happen? In fact, you'll notice in verse 35, he seems to deal with a hypothetical objector. Someone will ask. It seems to me, I know what the response is going to be because I've taught our resurrection will be like Christ. Someone among you is going to ask, well, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? How is this possible? And so what Paul is going to do now is he's going to make four points in this section to show how this is all going to occur. The first section from verses 36 through 38, he's going to describe simply that there is a principle of change that is in view. And within this, he's going to make three points. You notice in verse 36, he makes the simple point is that the seed doesn't come to life unless it dies. Very simple illustration that he starts with. He says the seed has to die. And I think that's a a great picture of what this looks like. The seed decomposes. The seed must cease to exist in its original form before it's going to come to life when that seed is planted. And that's exactly, again, what the Scriptures use in description of this. And think about how Jesus used the same illustration concerning His own death and resurrection. In John 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come. Come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here he is speaking about what's going to happen to him and his future glorification. He's going to suffer and die. But he will bear fruit. He will be glorified. He will be raised up. And so the the imagery is the same that the Apostle Paul is using. The seed cannot be made alive unless it dies. And so do not be concerned about the idea that though our bodies die, that God is not going to do something. God is going to accomplish something. Which leads to the next verse, verse 37. He says that the seed that's planted in the ground is not the same that comes out. He says, though you plant that seed in the ground and though that seed dies, what comes out of the ground doesn't look remotely like what you put in the ground. 
In fact, you can't even look at a seed and say, well, I now now know exactly what the fruit is going to look like or what the plant is going to look like or what that grain is going to look like. His point is, is very simple here. It's not possible to know that it looks completely different when it comes out. And so in the same way, the body that dies is not the same body that God raises to life. There is going to be a change. And that's really the thrust from the, all the way to the end of this chapter what Paul is going to talk about. There is a transformation. There is a change that is going to take place with these bodies. And so a transformation must occur. And he'll talk about more of this in just a moment. But then he adds one more in verse 38. God gives it a body that He has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. A simple picture here as well. I think it's kind of a way of comfort. You don't need to worry about what the body is going to be like. Because God is going to give it to you. That's what verse 38 just kind of rounds out about. God gives it a body He has chosen. God's got it, okay? He's picking the body. You don't have any say about that, so don't worry about that. He's going to give you a body. And so when asking how is the body going to be raised, he just begins with, well, there's a principle of change. Just as a seed dies, we are going to die. Just as what comes out of the ground doesn't look anything like what is planted, so it is with us. And then he just rounds it out and says, and God chooses that anyway. God is going to handle that. He is the author of life, and he will then raise our bodies to life. Now he he jumps off of that from verse 39 to 41. And he goes a little bit further with this body that God gives. And he begins to explain God gives all kinds of bodies. God knows how to create very very many different kinds of bodies. In fact, notice the description that he gives there like in verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. There are some that are for humans. There are some that are for animals. There are some that are for fish. There are some that are for birds. Here's the point that he's getting at. There are different bodies for different habitats. I got that from teaching page science. Habitat. Good word. (laughs) Wherever you are, you need a body that can dwell in that place. And so humans need a particular kind of body here. And fish need a particular kind of body in the sea. And birds need a particular body. That's the point he's making. That there is an appropriate body for where you live. And the body that we have now is appropriate for this earth. And so that's the picture that he's trying to get across to us. God is going to give us what we need. God has built for us perfect bodies that we need to dwell in heavenly places. The earthly body we have now is given to us to be able to live life here but think about what God will do for the body that we will receive to be able to live eternally with Him. And notice how he's paralleling that. He doesn't agree with the Greeks of a disembodied spirit but being given a new body, a transformed body to be able to dwell in the life to come. God has created you a body now. It is suitable for you now, just as the animals have suitable bodies for what they are doing. The point is we must be then given a suitable body to dwell with God forever. There must be a change that is going to occur. There must be a transformation. And so as they step back and go, how can you raise some rotted skeleton up from the grave and say there's resurrection? Here's the Apostle Paul saying that body was meant for here. God is going to transform to a body.
body that will then be suitable to live with God in eternity. And so that's what he then talks about the difference from verse 42 to the beginning of verse 44, a a phrase that we might have, have known very well, where he now talks about the contrast in between our body that we have now and the body that is to be received. You'll notice that he does. He begins that there in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That's us. That's us right now. The bodies we have now are perishable. They are deteriorating. But he says the body to be received is imperishable. It will not deteriorate. It is meant for eternity. These bodies are not meant for eternity. The body that we will receive is meant for eternity. And so verse 42 begins that what is sown perishable, what is being put in the ground is going to be raised imperishable. He continues in verse 43, what is sown in dishonor. We are ruined and corrupted by our sins. We have wrecked this body, but he says we are going to be raised to glory there in verse 43. So there is a transformation that is going to occur. It won't be the same body that we have now. What is being put down into the earth is dishonored, but what is to be raised is going to be glorious by God. Number three, as he continues in verse 43, what is sown in weakness. These bodies are temporary. They are fragile. They are subject to the ravages of time and pain and suffering. But he says the body that is to be raised, he says it will be raised with power. They will not be weak. They will not be weighed down or slowed down or exhausted. They will be completely different than the bodies that we have now. And so here is this great picture of, yeah, I know the kind of body you have now. Do not look to eternity and think, oh man, I got the same old thing. No, things are going to be radically different. That It will be an imperishable, imperishable body, a glorious body, a powerful body. And notice how he rounds it out. It is the contrast between the natural and the spiritual. It is a natural body that you have now. And again, it goes back to habitat. Here you are on this planet, in this earth. This is the body you need now. You will be given a spiritual body then so that you can dwell with with God and be with him eternally. And so he's drawing a a conclusion of the obvious. Obviously, uh, the new body will be prepared for heaven. And obviously, the new body cannot be like the body that we have now, because this body is made to live in the earth. Just as much as we're not meant to live in the sea and a fish is not meant to live on land, we're not meant to live in heaven yet. But when that time comes, when the resurrection comes, we will be given bodies that are prepared to be able to live eternally with him. And that rounds out the final section here from really the end of verse 44. Now to the end of verse 49, he now is going to bring in some scriptural arguments to be able to sustain all that he has said about this new resurrection, these new bodies that we are going to be given. Notice how he goes then in in, in verse 45. Let's do the end of verse 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man from heaven, as was the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust. 
And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So notice how he rounds that out and he uses the contrast of Adam, the first created being. And then he decides to speak of Christ and what he accomplished as the first fruits. And so the picture is is fairly simple. Adam's body is the model of our natural body. That's how it all began. He reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and says, remember what happened there is that he was created from the dust and turned into a living being, became a living being. And so our bodies fit that mold. We fit that representation. He's the model of that. And now he comes around and says, well, consider Christ's resurrected body is the model for our spiritual bodies. And that's what the contrast is doing with this first Adam and last Adam. But one is natural and one is spiritual. And so what Christ accomplished, and that's why the Apostle Paul has used first fruits. What Christ has accomplished in resurrection is what is going to be accomplished for us. And so what a great way for Paul to bring that back around again, tying these two things together. If Christ has been raised from the dead, we also must be raised from the dead. And it's going to happen in the same likeness, in the same way. Just as he is a first fruits, we follow in after that. And now he uses just as Adam is the model of our natural body. So Christ is the model of the resurrected body. To put it another way, God gave life to live on earth. As a seed in Adam, and now God gave life to live in the world to come, and that's seen in Christ. That's the argument that he's simply laying out for us, is that Adam models what our bodies look like now, and Christ models what our bodies will look like in the time to come, this great glorious body to be given. But now he goes to verse 46 and he says, but don't forget the order of things. Remember, he spent a whole section talking about each thing in its own order. He says, here's the order as well. You have to have these bodies first. As much as we might want to just get on with it and get those resurrected glorious bodies, he says, natural body must come first. And that's the, the point that he gets at then in verse 46. Not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. But there is an implication because there is a natural then there must also be a spiritual. And that's what he was doing in verse 45. There was a first Adam, there is a second Adam. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. He wants us to have confidence in the realization that we, our bodies will be changed and we will dwell with the Lord forever. Verse 47 continues that, that thinking, the first man being of the earth was the man of dust. Adam comes out of the earth. He comes out of the ground. And then his body goes back into the ground. And so our bodies then also go back to the ground. But consider the contrast in 47 that the second man is from heaven. We're going to be given transformed heavenly bodies. And where must those bodies then go back to? They must go back to heaven. They must go back to be with God. So that's the parallel he's making. These bodies must go back in the ground, but he's going to transform these bodies and we will go home to be with God. And so therefore, verse 48, he says, so we bear that image. So we bear the image of dust until the resurrection. That's what we look like now. We look like Adam with this flesh, but then we will be transformed and we'll bear a different image and it won't be the image of flesh. 
It'll be an image that is prepared for eternity, an image that is prepared to be with God and to be with him forever. I want you to consider as well as we begin to round this out that this is what the Apostle Paul said in simple terms over in the Philippian letter when he said in chapter three, verse 20, he said, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This has been really the shorthand of saying what all the 1 Corinthians 15 has been doing. Remember, we see Christ. He is risen from the dead, sits down at the right hand of God. All things are being put under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, there's the end of Philippians 3 right there. Enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Even death is being subjected to Him. And thus, He has the power to raise from the dead others. And notice what He makes a statement here. Our citizenship is in heaven. If our connection is to Christ and we are found in Him, then He says what will happen happen is he will transform our lowly body not to just be a spirit but notice to be like his glorious body first fruits idea he did it first we're following in after him he came in the flesh but he rises in glory and honor we come in flesh we rise with glorious bodies in power as well And so here is this great hope. He says, this is why our citizenship is in heaven. This is where we are supposed to put our hope. I want to give you two things as we we wrap up this morning to consider. As we talk about the life change that ought to come from the resurrection, as we understand the hope that has been given to us because of the resurrection, it reminds us, I think, one really critical thing. You and I are not this physical body. It's not who we are. It's just what we're in. It's just what we're housed with. And the reason why that's important is because that's what you see the apostles doing is that it doesn't matter what happens to the physical body. If somebody kills us, that's okay. Those Christians were being burned alive. Those Christians were being uh, decapitated, beheaded like John the baptizer. And you say, it doesn't matter because I'm not this body. This body is just going back to dust. As it was made from the dust, it is going to go back to the dust. To put my hope in this flesh, to put all of my care and concern in this body as to what happens to it is not important. Because what matters is citizenship in heaven. Our broken, corrupted, disabled, deformed, decaying bodies are all going to be changed when Christ returns. They're all going to be changed. And so it doesn't matter what happens to your body while it is alive. And it doesn't matter what happens to your body after you die. It's not relevant. Does God have the power to radically transform your created body into a glorious body? Oh, yes, he does. And that's the point that he makes. And now we have Christ who has come and he shows that to us. He shows the power to overcome death, and He will transform that body. I want to just take a second and consider what I think then is what the Scriptures are doing in terms of life after death. That's, I think, like top five questions on the board of what happens after death. And all kinds of teachings are given about that. But 
what I believe if we take what is given to us here by the Apostle Paul and we parallel some of the things and add what Jesus teaches, I think we get a very good picture of what's going to happen. Is that, yes, we will die and that our bodies will die. What we see Jesus telling the man on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. So it's not just lights out and who knows what happens next, it's over and done. He tells the story of a rich man, Lazarus, and then relates that to the man on the cross. You're going to be with me in paradise. We in our spirits will go to a place that God, that Jesus himself calls us Hades, and we stay there in comfort. We stay there in paradise until the resurrection. This is what Paul has been arguing. When Christ comes, then the bodies are raised and then they will be transformed. And in two weeks, we'll get to look at this great picture of this changing from verses 50 to the end of the chapter. Then we are changed and then we are given that body. That seems to be the picture of what Jesus is teaching and what then Paul is teaching. And that gives us a view of what we are looking forward to. His life does not consist in making sure I preserve this earthly body, but to do everything I can to participate in the heavenly body, to be given that heavenly body and to have that great resurrection that is to come. That then needs to be my hope. That needs to be everything that I seek out in life. That my life is not about the current state of affairs here or what things going on with my body now. My hope is I'm going to use my body in a way so that when Christ comes, I will go home to be with Him. And I will receive that glorious body that belongs with Him. Let us not ever misplace our hope into the things of this world. Peter was very clear when he wrote and said that the things of this earth are going to be burned up when Christ returns. The hope is not here. The hope is not coming back to life here. The hope is not living here. And none of those things are the hope. The hope, as Paul would write to the Thessalonians, is to be caught up with the Lord forever, to belong with Him and to enjoy eternal life, to receive bodies that can be with Him eternally, for flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, no flesh can see God. But the great promise is given to us. We will see Him face to face. And so there must be a change. There must be something different that is going to be given to us so that we can be joined with Him. And so let me encourage you with this then. Citizenship in heaven means that we have our eyes always on the glorious return of Christ. And we eagerly wait for His coming by submitting to Him now and yielding to His commands now. To long for that Resurrection, to long to be with God, to look forward to a day, as the writer of Revelation would say, where there is no more death and no more tears and no more pain, to long for that day and to have hope in that day is to live radically different lives now, not with our eyes in this world, but with our eyes toward heaven, caring about God and his kingdom. And the things of eternal impact, not a physical impact. Our hope is not in this physical body. We are just simply inside this body, longing for the day when God will clothe us with immortality, will clothe us with power, will clothe us with honor, where we can be with Him eternally.
That's why we sacrifice our bodies now. That's why we give everything now for the hope of the resurrection to be with Him. You can pull your songbooks out. We're going to sing an invitation song. And we're inviting you to receive that very hope. To let that hope be strong in your heart. And that only can be part of your hope by attaching yourself to Jesus Christ today. To recognizing that He died for your sins. That He was buried in the ground and was raised from the dead three days later. And the hope that comes out of that is we are forgiven of our sins. It means we can be restored in relationship back with God. And that restored relationship is not merely for the now, but also because we'll be transformed to get to be with Him forever. And that's when our reconciliation is going to be the sweetest, friends. Our reconciliation will be the sweetest and we can be in the very presence of God. And we are given the heavenly bodies that we need to dwell with Him eternally. That's where our hope lies. And that's why Jesus came. To save us from our sins. To give us the hope of eternal life. And we call upon you to do that this morning. To turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Being raised up with the hope of life to come. If you're ready to respond to that invitation to have that hope, why don't you come forward now while we stand and sing this song?